Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. After Purdue Farms received unsolicited, but ultimately what it characterized as fair criticism for its approach to animal care years ago, the poultry producer now annually invites animal welfare advocates, farmers, academics, and stakeholders from across the value chain to visit its farms to share concerns, ask questions, and offer feedback after learning how the company currently approaches its business, how the broader landscape is changing, and what the future may hold. During Purdue's 8th Annual Animal Care Summit this fall in Salisbury, Maryland, the company closely examined and reaffirmed its commitment to no antibiotics ever, an initiative that it began phasing in in 2002 when it stopped using antibiotics for growth promotion and which it continued to expand over the next 15 years until as of September, it claims 100% of its chickens are no antibiotics ever. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Bruce Stewart Brown, Purdue's Senior Vice President of Technical Services and Innovation, and a veterinarian who helps guide the company's approach to animal care, shares why Purdue's No Antibiotics Ever initiative is just as important today as it was 20 years ago. How it's evolved and how else the company is improving the welfare of its chickens, be it through improved housing, added enrichment, the use of RFID bands to track free-range birds, or efforts such as the on-farm hatching and behavioral research to reduce animal stress. Grounded in the idea of continuous improvement that comes from increased transparency and open minds, Stuart Brown says Purdue's annual Animal Care Summit isn't about self-congratulating, but rather creating an open dialogue to share successes, identify areas of improvement, brainstorm advancements, and generate accountability. Uh, About eight years ago, uh, we were criticized a little bit for our approach to animal care. Um, And we go, well, actually, as we sat down and looked at the criticism, we thought, well, you know, some of it actually is fair. Um, It's not... It's not in, inappropriate to, to, to question these things. Uh, and some of it is we haven't really told people what we were working on or explained where we're going in animal care. And we go, you know what? We should just sit down with everybody. If, if they have good, if they have honest questions and they're honestly concerned, uh, maybe we should kind of do this in a better way to, to talk with folks. So we had, uh, and this was in particular some animal advocacy groups. Uh, so we had them in, uh, and that was kind of our first summit. Here's what we're doing. What, first of all, tell us what you think we should be doing. Uh, and then, uh, uh, second, athletics lets us, can we explain where we're going? And maybe there's some things we should do different and maybe, maybe you'd be happy with a few of the things we are doing. And then it became a bigger deal after that first event. We go, okay, well, you know what? Uh, we should have some farmers come to the meeting as well as some of the folks that raise our chickens. We should have some academia if they would like to come. We should have some customers if they would like to come and learn more about these things. And, and what you're doing and as well as where you're going 
so anyhow, we've done it eight times now. And uh, every year we have about ten initiatives, ten things that we said at the beginning of the year, this is what we're going to work on. And then we report out that, have that meeting. Here's what we did. Here's what we got done. Here's what we didn't get done. Sometimes uh, we didn't we didn't get it done like we would like. Uh, so we say that kind of honestly. And then get some feedback again. Long before Purdue began hosting its annual summit, it held monthly meetings to review consumer questions and concerns shared via its 1-800 number presented on its packaging. It was one of these meetings in 2002 that Stuart Brown says Purdue realized it needed to proactively address concerns about the use of antibiotics. In 2002, we were getting some questions like it hit the radar for us that people were concerned about antibiotics. Um, and they didn't ask like a ton of questions like what are the antibiotics you're using or, to, you know, basically they said we've heard that you, the chicken industry uses a lot of antibiotics and uh, what are you do? Um, what is Purdue doing in the way of antibiotics? Where are you going with this? And, and um, we've also, this is also the feedback from consumers is we heard uh, that because of the way you raise chickens, uh, they need to get antibiotics every day, uh, uh, every day the rest of their life. And is that true? Is that is that the kind of uh, environment you're raising chickens in? So we were getting enough of that to go, you know, this this is something we should kind of pay attention to first, and maybe change second. Uh, if if all that's true, does that sound right? And the answer is not, it doesn't really sound right. It doesn't seem right. Uh, perhaps we need to look at that different. So we create our projects. Just as a, as a background, it, you know, chicken companies can use antibiotics for four things, four ways. Uh, put it in the egg, uh, to cover, or to, uh, to, to help with some bacterial infection on eggs. Um, put it in the feed for growth promotion or disease prevention. Uh, using uh, this anti-coccidial ionophore piece uh, specifically is, a, is an antibiotic specific for a protozoa that chickens get. And then the fourth thing is to treat sick animals. So those are the four ways chicken companies use antibiotics. The only one we wanted to leave on the table would be the treatment of sick animals. So the, the idea in 2002 is what do you got to do? What do you got to do to get rid of those other three? Uh, and uh, and by the way, raise chickens in such a way that the treatment of sick animals is significantly low and something you can be proud of. So that started this project. In 2006, we had removed the growth promotion, uh, disease prevention piece. In 2010, 12, right in there, we had finished up all the hatcheries got rid of the hatchery use. In 2014, we worked our way kind of out of the ionophore piece and the piece. And the only thing that's left for us, of course, is treatment of sick animals. And it allowed us then to take the Purdue brand and create the, the no antibiotics ever label, which says that none of those animals were ever, had ever seen an antibiotic in any way their whole life. Uh, and, uh, and that became kind of formal in 2016. So it took us a long time. We had a lot to change. Most of it, by the way, in the 
animal in the way uh, we care for animals. So it really was no antibiotics ever kind of project started in 2002. Um, but then it kind of took us to the bigger picture component, which, which is really how do you care for animals. And that made us formalize our approach to animal care and change it. Purdue's approach to antibiotics does still allow for their use to treat sick animals, as Stuart Brown noted. In these cases, he explains, the animals are sold through the brand's lines that do not carry the no antibiotics ever claim. Phasing out the routine use of antibiotics and still raising healthy chickens required Purdue to rethink how it houses and cares for its flocks, which in turn allowed the company to commit to providing customers a sustainable supply of chicken that meets all 2024 animal welfare criteria outlined by the Better Chicken Commitment. Stuart Brown explains how Purdue's values align with the Better Chicken Commitment components, including around controlled atmosphere stunning, enriched environments, and raising breeds associated with improved welfare. As we laid out kind of directionally what we were headed for as a company, there were some things in the Better Chicken Commitment that that actually lined up for us. Uh, Controlled atmosphere stunning. We have said out loud that we think controlled atmosphere stunning is the way to go and that we intend to uh, do all our plants, uh, move away from electrical stunning to controlled atmosphere stunning, and and we continue to kind of move through that. Those systems are very expensive. There's a lot to work through. Uh, Having said that, we try to keep going on that. We have our second chicken plant uh, scheduled to start up in uh, Thanksgiving of next year, uh, about a year from now. So uh, we've got a lot of experience on the first one. So anyhow, control atmosphere stunning lines up. Um, the value of space lines up for us. How much space a chicken needs and wants and, and this idea of, of incorporating the chickens desire to be a chicken and act natural in natural behaviors lines up for our, our, uh, approach as well. So, so that, that made sense to us. Enriched environments, of course, um, those are, we, we have had a lot of experience with enrichments and, and once I kind of, when we, when we acquired a, a kind of Coleman back, let's say 10 years ago, um, I had not really seen enriched environments per se. I hadn't seen organic production. I call myself some degree, you know, I'm a veterinarian. I, 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 I didn't have experience with it, but once you kind of get into it and see it, um, you go, wait a second. I think maybe we should do this for all our chickens, you know, and, and uh, so enriched environments make sense. Because different breeds have pros and cons, Stuart Brown said Purdue is carefully studying the implications of raising different types of chickens. He explains at this year's summit, the company shared results from a recent 26 flock trial in which farmers raised the current commercial breed compared to a better chicken commitment compliance, slower growing breed. The breed piece is what's, what's a little bit uh, controversial or, and or needs a lot of discussion because of some of the negative components to sustainability and, 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 and those acts. So anyhow, the better chicken commitment and our kind of approach to animal care lined up to a certain degree, so it made sense to us that we would 
if people wanted to buy better chicken commitment works, we, we should be the ones to grow them. And, uh, and, and we would, every time you raise a different kind of bird in a different kind of system, you learn something. And it often happens. The industry uses, um, let's say that, let's call them commercial chickens, the chickens that are, um, you know, but there's several breed or breed crosses that, that, that chicken companies use. I'm going to say there's about five. Most of them are aimed at the bird size. So if you're raising a small bird, a four and a quarter bird, let's say for, for food service, you might have a tendency to go towards these couple breed crosses. If you're doing tray pack, we do a lot of tray pack, um, kind of birds in the grocery store. You might go towards a, a certain breed cross. And then if you're raising large birds for deboning, uh, you might go towards another couple breed crosses. But there's probably, you know, three or four males and three or four females that you might use. And they all have a tendency, uh, especially as you go up in the bird weight, towards more yield, uh, more breast meat yield. Uh, because in this country, uh, different from the rest of the world, uh, by the way, um, you know, there's a white meat preference by, by many folks. So genetics companies have listened to that and bred for, uh, listened to us as well as listened to the consumer's preference and bred for more and more breast meat. And by the way, faster growth. Uh, that's another component. You know, the faster the chicken grows, the tendency is for feed efficiency. They are more feed efficient if they grow a little faster. So what it's led to is pretty high yielding birds uh, that grow relatively fast. Um, now, our particular interest in kind of the breed piece is around meat quality. Uh, we intend to have the best chicken that people can buy and that it has, uh, it is dependable flavor and dependable quality. And one of the things about, you know, studying it, uh, first it tells you a lot about all these different kinds of chickens and the pluses and the minuses about them, uh, as well as kind of diving into is that better chicken or, or the same kind of chicken? Uh, and, and what are the implications for that? So we've done about 12 or 14 now, maybe different breeds of chickens. And we have a program where we're constantly raising the next kind of idea around, uh, that we have around, uh, breed. First of all, we believe the best chicken comes from three basic things. Uh, the breed that, that you choose, the feed that you feed, and the style in which you raise it. So you can kind of see those things showing up in our programs, especially on the feed and management style. Uh, feed that doesn't have antibiotics in it, that has no uh, animal byproducts in it, that has... Uh, probiotics and prebiotics in it, so the feed's evolving as we go. And then the management style as well, encouraging exercise to a degree, natural sunlight, enrichments, access to the outdoors. 25% of our program now is free range. Um, so we are kind of evolving. And all that, from our perspective, is aimed at 
letting the chicken be a chicken and that if you raise them and feed them uh, in the best possible way, that results in the best possible chicken for consumers. So that's why we're interested in it, and that's why we're doing a lot of work in it. And uh, those birds are often slow-growing, as you said, um, and, and take longer. Therefore, uh, you need more feed uh, because the slower growth rate generally results in poor feed, poorer feed conversion. Uh, and they also require – that requires more chicken houses. So we have to kind of watch that. One of the interesting things about the trial this summer – that we that I didn't really have in my head is wait a second those hens uh, lay a ton of eggs uh, so those slower growing breeds are are laying a lot more eggs than the kind of commercial hen and by the way they're really fertile so you get a lot of chicks from the slower growing piece. Uh, which means that there's an advantage to that breed mix on chick cost, on the chick efficiency piece. So uh, not enough to outweigh all the negatives I just said. But, 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 wow, the hen was interesting. Farmers love it. Uh, they, they love the, the ease of, of management. They are very dry chickens, which I didn't really kind of understand this. Uh, they don't drink as much water. Now they're there longer, so ultimately they drink a lot or significantly more water total. But as they're growing, they drink less, and the chicken house is really dry. Uh, and that's good, that's a good thing. It means a farmer doesn't have to manage, you know, ventilation quite as kind of particularly as as they might on the commercial breed. So there's some really interesting things um, that we found out in that whole trial. As with any study, the results don't always align with what the company needs or with what the consumer wants. But Stuart Brown said Purdue is committed to ongoing research and innovation, which sometimes leads to the creation of new products or sub-brands and sometimes doesn't. You know, I'd say our direction in animal care was really precipitated by organic production, which said... This is what organic chickens look like, and this is how you manage them, and this is what happens in organic. And aside from the feed piece, shouldn't shouldn't some of that organic husbandry be brought into the rest of the system? And the answer is yeah. So you can see a little bit our direction is 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 based around uh, some of the husbandry approaches in organic are showing up in the rest of our chickens. And that's pretty cool. As part of Purdue's research into the full implications of raising slow-growing chickens and its impact on these breeds and different practices associated with them on the environment, to that end, Stuart Brown says the company is undertaking a proper life cycle analysis to fully address the sustainability impact. Other initiatives that Purdue shared at the summit, which could guide other industry players, include a shift to on-farm hatcheries, which Stuart Brown says reduces the stress on chicks compared to when they're hatched elsewhere and then transported to the main farm. He also shared the company is exploring new housing enrichment, such as vertical opportunities that allow chickens to move off the main floor, effectively increasing their living space as well as providing entertainment and a chance to express their natural behaviors. 
Ultimately, Stuart Brown reiterated all of the initiatives that Purdue shared at its annual summit and its testing or instituting require an open mind and attitude that the right way may not be the easy way, but as Purdue's tagline goes, it's the Purdue way. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.